Well, how many of you have an elf on the shelf? Just see, let me see your hands real quick. Elf on the shelf, hands, hands, hands. Okay. Um, uh, those of us that don't have the elf on the shelf, you guys that raised your hands, you can look at us and say, oh, you, you, you church people, God bless you. You know, you, you church people don't have elf on the shelf. And then you church people can look at everybody that just raised their hand and say, oh, you sinners, you worldly sinners. No, my family has had, my family has an elf on the shelf too. But man, this week I had a friend who goes to our church he had the most amazing thing happen with his elf on the shelf. Parents, you're going to love this. I loved it. His elf on the shelf got COVID and had to quarantine. So his elf is gone for two weeks. He's quarantining. So feel free to steal that, I guess, right? But this Christmas, Christmas in 2020 is going to be different. It just is. I'm sure your Thanksgiving was different. Uh, Christmas is probably going to be different. It was for our family at Thanksgiving. I know it's going to be again this Christmas. Christmas is going to be different this year. But one thing that's always true about Christmas, something that never changes about Christmas is that Christmas shows us, in fact, screams to us that most everything about God is upside down to us. Most everything about God is upside down to us. In fact, there's a theological term or concept, an idea called the upside down kingdom. And in fact, there was a book written in 1978 called the upside down kingdom. And here's what one person had to say about this book and this concept. The upside down kingdom is intended to convey the way the kingdom of God challenges the prevailing social order. How the values of the kingdom stand in an inverse relationship to the values of the world, the kingdom of the world. That is what is highly valued at the top of one order ranks at the bottom of the other. The kingdom of God is upside down. And Jesus said, my kingdom, because Jesus is a king, make no mistake, the king of kings, and he has a kingdom. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So my kingdom, Jesus said, doesn't fight. It doesn't work. It doesn't wage war like the kingdoms and the kingdom of this world. You see, there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of the world. And the kingdom of the world is evil. It's actually satanic. And I'll show you more about that here in just a little bit. But the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God has a pattern. It has a power. It has a product. It has a program just like any other kingdom, so does the kingdom of God. So in the kingdom of God, blessed are the poor, the meek, the mourning. And the kingdom of this world, it's blessed are the rich, the happy, the strong, the arrogant, the boastful. In the kingdom of God, it's the first will be last. And the greatest among you will be your servant. And we love and pray for our enemies. But the kingdom of this world says, if you're not first, you're last, right? In the words of Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. Not so in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world fights and wages war, takes things by force. Not so with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world, you live for now, you live for today. In the kingdom of God, we live for eternity. Where we see poor widows, radically generous, in the kingdom of God, you lose your life for the sake of Jesus. You win by losing. In the kingdom of this world, we fight, we win wars, we take things by force. 
In the kingdom of this world, you need power in order to get your way, in order to make a change. Not so with the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, we're not dependent on, praise God, elections. We're not dependent on political leaders. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. It's upside down. In the kingdom of God, those who are weak are made strong. In the kingdom of God, the worst sinners are embraced by the son of God. The kingdom of God, the word of God, the gospel of God, Paul would say is foolishness to those in the kingdom of this world, to unbelievers. The kingdom of God is foolishness. The gospel of our God is foolishness to people in the kingdom of this world. But God would say, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Our hearts are deceptive above all else. We can't trust them. We can't trust our our feelings and our emotions. Paul would write in Romans 1, our minds think up foolish thoughts about God and what he is and who he's like. See, the kingdom of this world is right side up to us. The kingdom of God is upside down to us. And Christmas reveals this as much as anything else in all of the scripture. And so my prayer in this series is that the Holy Spirit will enable us to see things closer to the way God sees things. That we'll begin to see salvation, success, greatness, value, worth, power, a little bit closer to the way that God sees them. And in Acts chapter 17, it's this upside down kingdom that is turning the world upside down. That's what some people had to say about the disciples. They wouldn't stop teaching and proclaiming the good news about Jesus. And and the Romans and leaders would begin to say, these guys are turning the world upside down. And I believe that can happen again. I believe the world could be turned upside down again with the upside down kingdom. It can happen again. So we're starting a series today called the upside down kingdom. And here's the first principle of the upside down kingdom. Salvation is upside down. You've got to understand this. This may be one of the most important things you could possibly understand in this life is that in the kingdom of God, salvation is upside down. Now, if you're following along with us on our app, this is where you fill in the blank right here with the words that are in all caps. If you don't have our app, I challenge you to download it. The City Church Lubbock in your app store, click message notes. Then you can follow along with us. All of our notes are there. The verses are there. The points are there. The quotes are there. And when you come to a blank, you get to fill in the blank right here with these words in all caps. And so you get to participate and have fun together with us. It's a lot of fun filling in the blank. I love filling in the blank. I don't know about you, but this is going to be fun. Reading God's word is fun. Studying God's word is fun. Teaching God's word is fun. I love it. And I hope you do too. And if you don't, my prayer is is that in your time here, you will begin to love hearing God's word, reading God's word, praying God's word, because God's word is God's revelation of himself to us. You get to know God when you read his word. And I don't know about you, but that's fun to me. If you're a Christian, it means you have the Holy Spirit this is fun. You, you light up when you read God's word and when you hear God's word. So let's have some fun together. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, we're going to be in verse 1 through 13. Uh, the verses will be on the app. They'll be on the screen here in just a second. Now, you might be wondering, I thought we'd go to like Luke chapter 1 and 2 and Matthew, you know, those kinds of places to learn about Christmas. You do, but you can learn about Christmas almost anywhere in the Bible and you're going to see Christmas right here in the middle of Romans chapter 10, here in just a second. So Romans chapter 10, starting in verse one, Paul writes this to the church at Rome. Dear brothers and sisters, 
The longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. So they're not saved. And Paul's longing for them is to be saved. I know what enthusiasm Paul says they have for God, but it is, watch this, misdirected zeal. Misdirected zeal. In other words, Paul is saying, you can believe something with all your heart and you can be passionately wrong. You see, here's what you've got to understand about the kingdom of God. Right side up to us is wrong to God. Right side up to us is usually, it's often wrong to God. You can wholeheartedly believe something and it still not save you. Because if it's the wrong thing, it won't save, Paul's saying. It's meaningless. Your belief is meaningless if it's not true. Even atheist, famous atheist, Richard Dawkins, evolutionary biologist, said this about truth. He said, one thing will happen to all of us when we die. In other words, what you believe is not going to determine what happens. You will either be right or you will be wrong. He said, there's lots of religions in the world and they all contradict each other. So they can't all be right. One is right or all are wrong. He said, there is no such thing as relative truth. There is no your truth. There is no my truth. There's just the truth. Objective truth exists in the real world. Subjective truth is fantasy. Atheist Richard Dawkins. I agree with him there. There's a lot we don't agree on, but I agree with him that what matters is what is true. Dawkins said that relativism, the idea that there's a truth for you and a truth for me and that there's no objective truth, that's relativism. He said, relativism is a pretentious cop-out. There are facts that reveal truth. What you believe doesn't really matter. What matters is what is true. And so here's what he means by this. He said, gravity is a fact and it's true whether you believe it or not. If you don't believe me, he said, go jump off a building and see what you think then. You'll find out that what you believed about gravity didn't really matter. It's a fact. It's true. And not believing it will kill you. It will hurt you. And that's why Paul says, my desire for my brothers and sisters, for my fellow Hebrews, my fellow Israelites, my desire, my passion for them is to know Christ and be saved because they're not saved. They're wrong and it's going to kill them. It's going to hurt them. And so his desire for them is to be saved. Saved from what? An eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And so Paul's longing for his family, his friends, his coworkers, his neighbors, is that they might be saved. And that should be your longing and my longing too. That everyone we know would be saved. Because if they are wrong about what happens after you die, it will kill them for all eternity. It will hurt them. And so Christian, you and I, like Paul, should have a longing, a deep longing, a deep anguish in our souls, Paul would write, in other places, for our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, for unreached people groups to be saved. Because if they're believing the wrong thing, it's going to hurt them. It's going to kill them. Let's keep going. Verse three, Paul says, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with themselves. Listen, what you're about to read, what we're reading here in Romans 10, this is possibly the most important verses in all of the scripture. And I know that's a big thing to say, but in this life, there may not be anything more important than what you're hearing right now. 
And Paul says, they don't understand God's way. So some people don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. In other words, God has a way. God has a way. He's made a way to make people right with himself. A big word for this, a Christian word, the Bible word for this is righteous. God has a way of making people righteous. That simply means right with God. He has a way. He's made a way. But refusing to accept God's way, they cling to, watch this, their own way. They've made up their own way, but it's not God's way. They've come up with their own ideas about how to be right with God. And so they refuse to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right with God, watch this, by trying to keep the law. That's just another way of saying being a good person right? It's just, I'm trying to keep the law. I'm trying to check the, the, the boxes. I'm trying to be a good person. And maybe if I'm a good enough person, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then God will let me into heaven. If I'm a good person, surely I'll go to heaven because heaven's a good place and, and God's supposed to be good. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm good. And so surely I'm going to go to heaven and people cling to this way of getting right with God. And that's what every religion on the face of the planet says that maybe if I'm a good enough I'll experience whatever afterlife awaits. If I do better, if I try harder, if I follow these steps, if I follow this plan, then I'll be right with God or I'll achieve whatever afterlife maybe awaits me or I'll be reincarnated. All religions on the face of this planet that are man-made cling to this way. This way, their own way. They're made up ways of getting right with God, of achieving their afterlife. So watch this, God's way is upside down to us. It's upside down to us. So we refuse to accept God's way, Paul says, and we cling to our own ways because God's way is upside down to us. So we struggle with it and we refuse to accept it. And Paul would tell the Corinthians, it's like foolishness to us. God's ways are like foolishness to us and the, to those who don't believe. Paul would say in Romans chapter one, so in our wickedness, we try to suppress the truth by making up our own ways, by coming up with our own ideas. We're suppressing the truth, God's way, in our wickedness. We come up with ideas, Paul would say, foolish ideas about God. We make our own way. But the great news is that God has revealed himself and he's revealed himself and how to be right with him. He's given us his word, he's given us Jesus, God in the flesh, and he's revealed himself as the son of God in Jesus through his resurrection from the dead, proving that he was Lord and that he was the way to God. So God has revealed himself. He's shown us how to be right with him. So we don't have to make up our own way. Ravi Zacharias, a famous theologian who died in the last year, I believe, said this, God could have made 1,000 ways to heaven and we would have complained that there wasn't 1,001. Instead of complaining, Ravi said, we should worship God for making a way. He's made a way. God has made a way for you to be right with him, righteous, and to spend forever in paradise in heaven with him. Let's keep reading. Verse four, for Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. And as a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. That's a big statement. All who believe in Jesus are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God, watch this, requires obedience to all of its commands. 
So the law's way or the way of trying to be a good person says this. You may not have ever realized this before, but to be good in God's eyes, you have to be perfect. You have to perfectly obey all of the commands of the law. And in the 10 commandments, we get kind of the Cliff's Notes version of the law of God. The summary that tells us the standard by which someone would be righteous in the eyes of God or right with God. So let's just kind of run through a few of those real quick. The first one is that you shall have no other gods before me. In other words, you will never love or worship or give yourself to anything more than you give yourself and worship me. And to do so, to break this command is idolatry. God would say, no, don't ever take my name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. I mean, how many of us are doing that every week, right? God would say, don't lie, don't, don't cheat, don't steal. Don't commit adultery. In other words, don't have sex outside of marriage. Jesus would say, if you lust after a woman in your heart or a man in your heart, you've committed adultery within your, in your heart. The, the law says, don't commit murder. Jesus would say, hey, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with someone in your heart, you've, you've already committed murder in your heart. So, so, so let's get this straight here for just a second. By, by God's law, by God's standard, you and I are idolaters, cheaters, adulterers, thieves, blasphemers. We've broken God's law. And so we're not innocent. We're, we're not good by God's standard. No, quite the opposite. We're, we're evil and wicked. We, we, we're sinful. We've fallen short of God's standard of righteousness, of what he considers to be good. And that's all that really matters because it's his heaven. And so it's his standard that matters. And so you and I, I, I fall desperately short of God's standard. And so Paul writes in Romans 3 that the law silences every mouth. What, what does that mean? It means you, you have no basis by which to claim that you're a good person. If you know the law of God, you know the standard of God, you, you have no claim that you are a good person. Paul would say in Romans three. So there's no one good, no, not one. The law silences every mouth from boasting before God about who they are. And it makes us accountable. What's that? What does that mean? It means we realize we're guilty. We're guilty of sin. We're guilty as lawbreakers before God. We've broken the law of God. And when you break man's law, you pay man's fine. You break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin in the scripture is clear. It's eternity separated from God in a place called hell. So the Romans three, Paul says the purpose of the law was to show us the standard of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness, the character of God. It shows us that we fall desperately short. But Jesus, Paul said, perfectly accomplished God's law. In other words, Jesus was righteous. He was holy and without sin. Jesus accomplished God's standard. He was perfectly holy and righteous. And not only that, as a perfect and holy and spotless lamb, he's called the lamb of God. As the law would say, when you break God's law, you pay God's fine, the curse of sin is death. As a perfect, spotless, holy lamb, he died in our place for our sin, as the law would require. That when you sinned against God, when you broke God's law, you would bring a perfect, spotless animal, oftentimes a lamb, 
and they would kill that lamb and put the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat of God to pay for your sin and to cover your sin. And that's what Jesus did. Not only did he perfectly meet all the requirements of the law, he died in your place for your sin, the lamb of God, the sacrifice who would die for you and take the curse of sin of death upon himself. So Jesus has perfectly accomplished the the purpose of the law. And Paul says, all who believe in him are made right with God. But the law's way says, no, 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 I'm going to reject God's way. I'm going to reject God's son. And I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to do better. And I'm going to try harder. Let's keep reading verse six, but faith's way of getting right with God. So there's the law's way of getting right with God, which is basically every man-made religion on the face of the earth. I'm going to try to get up to God. I'm going to go up to God. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. That's the law's way. That's religion's way of trying to be right with God. But faith's way, Paul says, of getting right with God says this, don't say in your heart, who's going to go up to heaven? Who's going to be good enough to get up to heaven? Who's going to get up to God? You, you don't, you don't say that. That's not faith's way of getting right with God. Because that's to, watch this, bring Christ down to earth. And there it is. There's Christmas. Christ came down to earth. He came down to you and I. John 1 says it like this. The word became flesh. Jesus left the throne of heaven and he was born to a virgin named Mary. He was born, he was laid in a manger. Christ came down. He took on flesh and faith says, we don't say who's going to go up to heaven because Christ came down to us. And don't say, don't go back. Don't say, who will go down to the place of the dead? That's to bring Christ back to life again. In other words, we, we don't have to wonder who's going to pay the penalty for sin. The curse of sin is death. So, so we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin and we don't have to look for someone else to, to pay the penalty for our sin because Christ came down, he died on the cross and he was risen back to life again. In fact, Faith says, watch this, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and it's in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. And that's Christmas. Christ came down. And so the upside down truth of salvation is this. We don't go up to God. God has come down to us. The word became flesh. Jesus was God in a bod, right? Colossians one says it like this. He was the image of the invisible God. Jesus, Hebrews would say, is the exact representation of the father. Jesus said it like this. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And so when we try to go up to God, when we try to climb the ladder to God, when we try to do better and try harder our way into the kingdom of God, we're actually rejecting God's way, Paul would say, and we're rejecting God's son. And that is evil and wicked to God. And as parents, we understand this, right? Because what if someone came up to you and said, man, I can't stand your son. (laughs) 
I know a lot of mamas in here that are smiling right now. They'd have a big problem with that, right? You, you don't tell me you don't like my son. You will like my son. You will get along with my son. And you know, I mean, that's how we feel about our own kids, right? So imagine telling an infinitely holy and eternal and infinitely powerful God you don't like his son and you reject his son. That is evil and wicked to God. And that's what God sees when we reject his way, when we reject his son. It's evil just like the Tower of Babel. Have you ever read that story before? You ever heard that story before, the Tower of Babel? Where the people of Babel got together and they tried to build this building and, and make their way up to God, literally trying to do better and try harder and build something to get up to God. And they said, let us make a name for ourselves. We're gonna get up to God. We're gonna go up to God. We're gonna make a ladder up to heaven. And it was evil. It was wicked to God. And so God destroyed what they were doing. He separated the people all over the earth. He gave them different languages so they couldn't understand each other because it was evil in the eyes of God to try to go up to him and make a name for yourself. You see, the right side up to us, the kingdom of this world, is wrong to God. It's evil. It's Satanic because it rejects God's way and it rejects God's son. And this spirit of Babel is present and it's always present in any person or people who try to work their way up to God or make a name for themselves. The, the spirit of Babel was present in the spirit of Babylon and the nation of Babylon. When Nebuchadnezzar would say, hey, you're not going to Worship your God, you're gonna worship me. You're gonna bow down and worship this image. And that's how we're going to worship. We're gonna make up our own way. A spirit of Babylon is, Babel is present today in, in anyone who says they're gonna to try to work their way to God or make up their own ideas about God. The spirit of Babel, the spirit of Babylon and the end times. In the book of Revelation, we learn is the spirit that wages war against God, against his son and against the church. It's the spirit of Babylon, the spirit of Babel. It's evil, it's wicked to God to try to go up to God because in doing so, we're rejecting God's way, rejecting God's son. God has come down to us. All religions say, we're gonna try to work our way to God, work our way to this afterlife. But Christianity alone says, no, God came down to us. This is God's way. This is faith's way of getting right with God. Years ago, I was over at a friend's house and they had a swimming pool. They invited our family to come over and we were cooking out and our, our kids were swimming and, and uh, they, they, they have a, a bunch of girls and, and uh, they have this fence that, that goes around the pool, you know, that protects the, the, the pool from kids falling into it. And, and they had this big inflatable slide that you could get on and, and slide down into their pool. And so we're all kind of hanging out and we're cooking out and, and uh, we're standing there talking and eating. And then all of a sudden, my friend jumps this fence, lands on the other side of it, takes a couple of steps and dives into that pool and goes to the other side of the pool, lifts up the slide and grabs his daughter who was drowning. None of us knew it. None of us saw it. But a dad who cared about his kids was watching because he knew 
what this slide could do and how easy it was to get trapped underneath it. And so he was watching, he was paying attention. And so when he saw his daughter drowning, unable to save herself, he jumped in and went down to her. Why? Because he knew she couldn't save herself. He couldn't, she, could, she couldn't get back up. So he had to go down to her. You see, the scripture says you and I are drowning. In fact, it says that we're actually dead in our sin. We're dead and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, to rescue ourselves. We're headed to hell, but God came down to save us, to rescue us. And so our response is similar to when you're drowning. What would you do if you were drowning? You call out for help and you would trust that your dad would dive in after you. And as we keep reading here in Romans chapter 10, if you look in verse nine, it's a similar response we have when we're lost and dead in our sin. We're headed to hell. We have a similar response. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says this. Paul writes, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. So not by being a good person, not by trying harder or doing better. It's by believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised Jesus from the grave. And it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone, watch this, who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are in the same, are the same in this respect. They, the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. Watch this for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls out to Jesus to save them from their sin. I can't save myself, Jesus. I need you to save me, to rescue me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Paul says, will be saved. Paul wrote, in verse four, we just read it, that all who believe in Jesus are made right with God. In Romans chapter three, Paul writes this, when you believe that Jesus died in your place, sacrificing his life for you, that's when you're made right with God. Second Corinthians five says it like this. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God so that we might become right with God. You cry out to Jesus to save you. and you will be saved. Paul was just like his brothers and sisters, his fellow Hebrews, his fellow Israelites. He used to believe that if he was good enough, if he kept the law of God, if he was religious enough that he could be right with God. But he met Jesus and when he met Jesus, risen from the grave, he rejected, he repented from his old way of thinking, his wrong way of thinking, and he gave his life to Jesus. And Paul would write, I'm not gonna boast in anything but the cross of Christ. I have no reason to boast except in the cross of Christ. Later, however, hundreds of years later, the Roman Catholic Church would begin to say and preach and believe that salvation is through Jesus plus 
baptism, plus continually taking communion, plus giving, plus ongoing confession to a priest, plus doing your Hail Marys, plus a host of other things so that you might keep paying for your sin and to keep you dependent on the church. In fact, there was a saying hundreds of years ago in the Roman Catholic church that went like this, when a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. A coin in the coffer, that's a giving box. What, what, what they were saying was when you, when you give money, when you give financially to the Roman Catholic church, a soul from purgatory, they believe in purgatory, would spring. They would be released from punishment of their sin in purgatory and allowed to go to heaven. When a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. Well, Martin Luther and the other reformers began to read their Bibles. In fact, specifically, they read the book of Romans and they realized that what they were hearing from the Roman Catholic church was not in line with the scripture and they protested. And it resulted in the Protestant Reformation where some of the greatest truths in scripture were recaptured in the Protestant Reformation. And here are some of those truths. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Grace alone, the grace of God, God gives us what we didn't deserve, what, we're, what, we, what we don't, what he does not owe us. He gives us what we don't deserve, that's, that's grace. And he does it through faith alone in Christ alone. When you believe in Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, that's when you're made right with God. Your sin is forgiven, past, present, and future. There's no punishment for sin left to be had when you give your life to Jesus. It was finished on the cross. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. When I talk with my kids, I'll often ask them this question. I'll say this, Jesus plus what equals heaven? And I'll ask them and they're trying to think about it. And I want you to think about that too. If you had to fill in the blank here, if you had to answer this question, what would you say? You got this math problem here. Now you can either do the simple math or you can do the long math, right? You can do the new common core math, right? Where you got to figure out and make everything equal and have all these equations, you know, that go all the way down. And I see my kids doing this. I have no idea what they're doing. I, I, I can't help them at all to save my life anymore when it comes to, to, when it comes to math, right? But, but if you had to answer this question, what would you say based upon everything that we've just talked about? Jesus plus what equals heaven? You see, you've got to understand this if you're gonna be made right with God. If you are right with God, you need to understand this all over again. Here's the answer, Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals heaven. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Tim Keller said this about Christmas. He said, there's never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. You're drowning. You're dead in your sin. You can't do better and try harder your way into the kingdom of God. That's not how it works. That's not God's way. God's way 
is by faith in his son, Jesus. That's why the angels told Mary and Joseph that you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. Christmas is screaming to you this morning. And I pray it screams to you over the next month that salvation is upside down. The kingdom of God is upside down. The son of God went from a throne to a manger. He went from the angels and the host of heaven worshiping him to being crucified by his creation. The worst evil brought about the greatest glory ever known. The suffering of the son of God brought eternal life to mankind. He uses, God uses messed up people like me and messed up churches like ours to share his message. The kingdom of God is upside down and we praise him for it. And Christmas is screaming. The kingdom of God is upside down. So Merry Christmas. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the upside down kingdom of God. God, we thank you that salvation is upside down. That is good news of great joy for all people, that salvation is upside down. And so God, we praise you for it. We praise you for your upside down salvation, the upside down kingdom of God. We celebrate that. We worship you for that, God. And I pray if there's anyone here who has been misunderstanding the way to be right with you, God, I pray that today through the power of the Holy Spirit, they would understand it. They would understand God's way, faith's way of being right with God and they would give their life to Jesus. They would cry out to Jesus right now and believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the grave and they would be saved from their sin. God, would you remind us this morning in this Christmas season that salvation is upside down, that we might boast only and the cross of Christ. It's in your name we pray, amen.